Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Rethink Life Church Online. As always, it's an honor to have you join with us. And we're in part two of the brand new series we're kicking off for this brand new year of 2022. And uh, I'm excited because we are uh, really just optimistic and have a lot of expectancy that we are uh, believing God for for this coming year. And that's what we're praying for you. We're also in the middle of what we call 21 Days of Prayer. And if you haven't had a chance to join with us online, listen, every morning at 6 a.m., you can jump on Facebook or Instagram Live and uh, be a part. It's about 15 minutes. We're just pressing in and praying and uh, really just laying foundationally, especially on a spiritual level, everything that we're praying for, believing God for in all of our lives and through our church as we continue with this brand new year of 2022. So we just want to bathe it in prayer. We want to dedicate it and consecrate it to the Lord. And uh, I'm excited. And that's the reason why we've kicked off this brand new series called The Habits of Happiness. We're actually doing something um, that really I don't do a lot of. A lot of it is um, really just based on a lot of the the people that we are reaching, the impact that we're having. But I decided at the beginning of this calendar year to do a verse-by-verse book study on the subject or the book, if you will, of Philippians. Because Philippians, interestingly enough, happens to be a book that is really themed around the subject of joy or happiness. And so right here at the beginning of the calendar year, as many people are making New Year resolutions, perhaps uh, maybe in their process of you know establishing new habits and priorities in their lives, I think if there's one thing everybody's searching for, but don't necessarily know where to go or maybe how to go about finding it, it's the subject of happiness. And that's the reason why, in light of everything going on in our world and perhaps in your life and in my life, I think there's one person, one source that can bring true joy and lasting happiness in our lives. And of course, we know, if you know Jesus as your Savior, we know that He is the source of true happiness and lasting happiness in our lives. But sadly, a lot of people, they struggle with what I call destination disease. In other words, they struggle with the when and the then kind of thinking. We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of it. I know you're guilty of it because we've all perhaps in our mind have thought to ourselves, or maybe even said to ourselves, you know, when this happens, then I would be happy, right? It's kind of like this illusion we all build up in our minds and we think that, you know what, especially remember when you're a teenager and you turn 16, it's like, wow, man, when I start driving, then I'll be happy. Well, until you get your first speeding ticket, until you got to pay for your own gasoline, you got to pay for your own repairs, right? Then, you know, when you're approaching your senior year in high school, what, what, what do we used to say? Man, I cannot wait till I graduate from high school, then I'll be happy. And then we go off to college, right? And then we have that same mindset. Well, when I finally graduate from college and get my college degree, then 
I'll be happy. And the list goes on and on. You know, I get my first job, then I'll be happy. You know, if I find my spouse, then I'll be happy. You know, we start having children, then we'll be happy. When we get our first house, then we'll be happy. I think you get the point. It's the when and the then thinking that's like this illusion, this dangling carrot. And it's like if we chase after it hard enough and long enough and fast enough, we're eventually going to catch up with it. But here's the thing. Happiness is a choice. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, make happiness their goal. That's the reason why they fall into the trap of the when and the then thinking. But we need to understand is this. Happiness is not a goal. You see, happiness is something you create. You create happiness. Now, one of the byproducts of happiness, you ready for this, is right thinking and right actions. Right thinking, right actions. Another way to say it is think right and live right. You know, if we just do that, it's amazing. The output or the byproduct, the fruit, if you will, of our lives would be joy. And that's what we're going to learn today from the Apostle Paul. Now, before I share uh, today's message and we unpack um, really this passage of Scripture that we're talking about today. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, if you have something to jot with, jot down some notes with, go ahead and pull a journal out or notepad out. And uh, once again, we'll have everything there on the screen. In fact, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 30. That's a long passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read that entire passage of Scripture, but that's where we're going to be spending our time, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 30. But the Apostle Paul tells us something very specifically right out of the gate in this passage of Scripture but there are really four, you know, basically hurdles, if you will, that hinder us from achieving or experiencing happiness in our lives. They're really like obstacles that can stand in our way, kill joys, if you will, that rob us from the joy that Christ has come to give us. And the first, if you take a notes, is this. It's simply pain. You know, if you've ever encountered physical pain, and suffering, then you know it's hard to be happy when you're in pain. And whether it's physical pain or maybe the, the mental and emotional discomfort and pain that we encounter, relational pain from the hurt and the heartaches that have been caused in our lives through maybe some bad, difficult relationships, pain can kill happiness, rob us from our happiness. Another thing that robs us from happiness, of course, are people. It's the people that inflicts the pain upon our lives at times. It's the people who can be demanding, can be manipulative, can be critical. You know, it's amazing to me how hard it can be in life to get along with people because in many ways, that's one of the single most important things. In fact, what did God say? The greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, and second is equally as important, and that is to love others, to love people as much as we love Him. So love God, love people. Well, so sometimes it's easier to love God than it is to love 
other people, right? Because other people fall short of our expectations. They can bring disappointment and hurt into our lives. So yeah, pain creates a problem. People create problems that rob us from our joy. But there's a third thing, and that is pressure. And whether that pressure is from the inside, internal pressure, maybe just anxiety, stress, fear, worry, the tension that, we, that we're dealing with, or it could be external. It could be pressure from the outside that perhaps are working against us. And so when you think about the pressures in life, it's hard to be happy when you're carrying the burden and the weight of the pressure that can be sometimes overwhelming, right? But then there's a fourth thing that Paul points out, and that is not only are there pain and the people and people and pressures that can stand in our lives that rob us from our joy, but ultimately there are problems. And we could be here all day long talking about problems, right? Because you got problems, I got problems, we live in a world that's got problems. Everywhere we turn, there are problems. But the problem is if we dwell on the problems and we get ourselves entangled in these problems on a daily basis, well, those problems over time can sabotage our lives. It's overwhelming and can rob us from our joy. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you, once again, a reminder of why the Apostle Paul is such a great example, a model for us to follow when it comes to finding and understanding what true happiness is and what it isn't. You know what's interesting about the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book known as the book of Philippians, he wrote it to a group of Christians living at a place called Philippi, a city in Greece. And here Paul the Apostle literally is chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. He's in a prison cell. Now, he's in this prison cell for two years. But let me just back up and just remind you that before Paul even arrived in Rome and found himself in a prison cell for being arrested and put in prison because of of preaching the gospel, well, you got to keep in mind that he traveled to Rome. That was like his ultimate dream. For him, it was his dream to go to Rome because it was the most powerful city in the world. It was the city of influence. It was the city of power. And he wanted to go there and he wanted to preach to the masses. He wanted to have an impact on the most powerful city with the most powerful people in the entire world. He knew that if he could reach the masses in Rome, it would spread like wildfire. It would be like a ripple effect that could impact the entire world. And that's why he had a huge vision to go to Rome. So in his journey of just trying to get to Rome, well, unfortunately, he found himself being shipwrecked. He found himself actually uh, being stranded on an island there somewhere in the Mediterranean. While he's there on the island, he gets bit by a poisonous snake. He's having to overcome all kinds of physical setbacks and hardships. After he endures all of that and overcomes that, he finally makes his way back onto a ship He sets sail to the place that he originally wanted to go. He lands in Rome, and wouldn't you know it, right after he finally gets to the place that he had worked so hard to arrive in, he gets arrested because he's telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he's thrown into jail. They literally have placed some of the most powerful soldiers, the centurion guards, if you will, that have have now chained themselves 
in rotation, literally 24-7 in shifts, to Paul the Apostle because he was being a threat and he was threatening those that were in charge. And so we pick up the passage of Scripture that really serves as the key verse. I shared a long verse, a long passage of Scripture from verses 12 to 30. That's kind of where we're going to be teaching from today. But if there's one verse that kind of serves as the key verse, this is it. And here's the title of the message. You ready for this? This is how to be happy no matter what. So is it possible to find joy and happiness even though we're going through trials and tribulations and setbacks in our lives? Well, Paul helps us answer that question. And the first thing that Paul said was this, in Philippians 1 verse 27, and here's the key verse, he said, whatever happens. So you ought to just circle that, those two words there in your Bible, whatever happens, keep living your lives based on the reality of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come see you or hear good reports of you, I'll know that you stand united in one spirit and one passion, celebrating together as conquerors in the faith of the gospel. I think it's important for us to understand that it is possible, even as Christians, it's obviously a lot easier said than done, but it is possible as believers, it is possible for us to find joy and happiness in the midst of pain and problems in our lives. You say, how do you do that? Well, Paul shares with us four specific things that we all can apply to our lives from this passage of Scripture on overcoming problems in order to find true joy and happiness in our lives. And the first is this. He said, look at every problem through the eyes of God. So that's where we start. We have to look at every problem that we're facing through the eyes of God of God. I love what he said there in verse 12 in Philippians 1. He said, I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered, but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. I think that's powerful because you see, when you think about the problems that come against us, you know, it could be a setback. It could be maybe the loss of a job. It could be perhaps a physical illness, a bad di- medical report, a, 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 a medical diagnosis that maybe you have recently received or a loved one that you know has recently has received. Maybe you know someone who's fighting the battle of cancer or some other form of disease. Maybe you've gone through some financial setbacks. I mean, the list is endless, right? I mean, divorce, you know, a wayward son or daughter. You know, there just could be a lot of things that are working against us. But you know, rather than seeing those problems and seeing those circumstances, maybe as a setback, what if God, for whatever reason, is allowing these things to happen, maybe, just maybe, as a set up for something good that God wants to bring forth? Maybe God has a greater plan. Maybe he has something that God wants to bring about and is going to use the circumstances that you're facing in my life in a way that ultimately brings glory to himself and furthers his impact 
in the lives of other people through what we're going through. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but here's the thing you need to understand, that any time we face problems in our lives, one or two things happen. The first is, when we encounter problems in our lives, if you're a Christian, listen to this. That simply means that our problems can be actually a witness to unbelievers. You ever thought about that? You know, it's been said that in the mainstream secular workplace, when you think about the marketplace where most of us, where most of you perhaps spend every you know, day during the week of your lives at work, you know, it's been said that the way to gain influence and in order to have maximum impact with those that are in the real world, the real marketplace, and real jobs. You ready for this? According to John Maxwell, how you win those people over is through respect. You see, when those individuals see how we as Christians react and respond when we go through hardships and trials, here's what it does. We can either panic or we can pray. We can either be at peace or we can panic. And the problem is, is that if we choose to panic, if, if we choose to be under all the stress and pressure and we're wearing our emotions on our sleeve and we're, we're down and discouraged and defeated and we're gloom and doom and we're negative about everything going on, well, let me ask you a question. How attractive do you think that is to lost, unbelieving people? You see, as a Christian, even though we may be going through hardships ourselves, it's how we choose to respond you see, when we shift our perspective and we begin to realize that, you know what, I don't understand why this is happening. I never asked for it. I certainly don't want it. But for whatever reason, God is allowing me to go through this. And I know that he's got a plan. He's working his plan for his good. And if we choose to have that kind of perspective where every problem we encounter in life, we see through the eyes of God, here's what it does. It shifts our perspective. It puts our perspective on the eternal, on the bigger picture, on God's great grand scheme of, of plans and purpose, purposes for our lives, or we can choose to focus on the temporal. We can choose to focus on the here and now. We can choose to focus on the things that perhaps the enemy once again can rob us from experiencing the, the joy and the victory that God wants us to have. And so we need to understand that people are listening. People are watching. They want to know, how is this Christian going to handle, how are they going to respond to the situation they're going through? Uh, it's been, been amazing to me. I've been around a lot of people here in the last year and a half or two that have experienced things from death, uh, cancer, um, just unfortunate circumstances. My sister-in-law, um, is, is, has literally been battling cancer, been going through months of chemo, and she's now on the other side by the grace of God. God has brought healing and restoration to her life, and she's still not 100% out of the woods. But here's the thing. It's been through the faithfulness of her life. It's been through the hardships and the setbacks. And I could go on and on about a lot of other things that they've had to encounter. They literally have not been in their home because their home, if some of you remember the ice storms that hit Texas uh, last winter, 
As a result, it bursted their pipes and their house got flooded and they've been living in many ways like gypsies. They've been going from house to house and kind of living out of suitcases and in temporary situations while all the while going to chemo, working through the challenges. They've had setback after setback after setback. And yet through it all, it's amazing how many people who have seen, they've known, they've watched, they've heard, and yet they have been blown away by the faithfulness and the consistency that she has lived and their whole family has lived through this dark season in their life. Well, guess what? That's a powerful witness to unbelievers. But you know what? It's also an encouragement to believers. You know what? Because when we see people overcome and work through and you know, navigate through those hardships and problems in our lives, what does it do? It encourages our heart. It gives us hope. It helps us to have greater confidence knowing that, you know what? God is a faithful God. God is who He says He is. He's going to do what He promises He will do. And if God has done that for someone like that, God's going to do something great in and through my life as well. And so the Bible says it this way. In fact, in, in, uh, in Philippians 1 verse 13, here's how our witness can be a witness to unbelievers. Paul said, for now the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I'm here because of my love for Jesus, the anointed one. So here he is saying, hey, because I'm in prison here, because I've been arrested for my faith, everybody around me, even the guys that are chained to me, they can all testify that, hey, I'm here because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is seeing that as a win. He's seeing the hardship as an actual win to his circumstances. And then he says this in verse 14, And what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God all because of my chains. So Paul, here he is in a prison cell once again. He's telling these, this group of Christians living in Philippi that, hey, I know you're worried for me. I know you're praying about me. You're greatly concerned. But you need to know that all of this has happened because, listen, God is allowing it to happen so that I can be a greater witness to the unbelievers and so that I can be an encouragement to the other believers here in Rome and to those of you back in Philippi. So what is he saying? What he's saying is, is that we got to look at every problem through the eyes of God. The second thing that we learn in this passage of Scripture is this, and that is don't let others control your attitude. Man, this is so, so important. Easier said than done, but we cannot allow others, other people, to control our attitude. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1, verses 15 through 17, he said, it's true. There are some who preach Christ out of competition and controversy, and for they are jealous over the way that God has used me. Many others have pure motives. They preach with grace and love, filling their hearts, because they know I've been destined for the purpose of defending the revelation of God. And those who preach Christ with ambition and competition are insincere. They just want to add to the hardships of my imprisonment. You know what's interesting is that Paul identified specifically four types of people. You know, we did something in 
December called the Christmas crazies, talking about the difficult people and personalities in our lives. And Paul is basically pointing these type people out. He said, here, here are some of the people I'm having to deal with. Here he is in prison. They're trying to kick him while he's down, They're trying to you know, kind of overwhelm him with negativity. And so first of all, Paul says, hey, there's definitely critics out there because it says there in verse 15, for they are jealous over the way God is using me. You know, I've learned, I've learned that people who are typically insecure, people who have a big inflated ego, usually will use the method of criticism, tearing other people down by the things they say, all for the sheer purpose of building themselves up. You ever been around people like that? People who just have these massive egos? You know what ego stands for, don't you? It's edging God out. They just have a way of kind of edging God out. You know why? Because their main motive is to build themselves up. And they're going to tear you down. They're going to tell, they're going to tear everything you're about. They're going to try to criticize it, nitpick it to death. You know why? Because a lot of the reasons for the criticism is because they want what you got. They, they want to achieve what perhaps what it is that God has given to you because they're not it, experiencing it. So the last thing they want is for you to experience it. And so that's the reason they become critical. But Paul pointed out another group in that passage. He said, there's not only critics, but there's also comrades. In other words, hey, these are the people that are with me. These are the people that are for me. These are my true friends. He said, many others have pure motives. They preach with grace and love, filling their hearts because they know I've been destined for the purpose of defending the revelation of God. I heard someone once say, a dear friend of mine, a pastor named Ed Young, made this statement. He said, surround yourself with people who celebrate you rather than tolerate you. You know, I've learned, I've learned, it's so important that you surround yourself with people who love you, who believe in you, who are with you, who are for you. Why? Because they know, they believe, and they are firm that God has a great plan and a great purpose. You are destined to accomplish something great for God's glory. There's a third type of person that Paul emphasized in this same passage. He said, they're not only, you know, they're only critics and comrades out there, but he said, thank God for the comrades, but they're also going to be those competitors that come along as well. In verse 7, he said, it's true that there are some who preach Christ out of competition. So in essence, there are some out there who once again, maybe out of inferiority or jealousy or, you know, whatever it is, they have a competitive spirit. You ever been around somebody like that? Maybe you work with somebody who's got, they've always got to be one up. You know, you ever notice how you can tell a story, but, you know, they've always got a bigger and a better story. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you just came back from a vacation, you know, and boy, when they start telling about their vacation, you know, it kind of makes you want to just stay at home, you know, because they had like the ultimate, you know, vacations. It was the mother of all vacations compared to your vacation, right? You know, there's just people like that. They just have this competitive spirit. But then there's also another type of person that Paul emphasized, and that's what he referred to as the conspirators. He said there in verse 17, some who preach Christ out of competition and controversy. You ever notice that there are some people who just like to stir the pot? There are people who just will say things off the cuff. They'll do something or say something, kind of get a rise out of everybody, 
Or they'll kind of speak in half-truths. You know what I'm saying? It kind of just throws that little curveball, confusion into situations, and you're like, what did they mean by that? You know, or what they said wasn't necessarily accurate. And so what happens is when we go through problems, and a part of the problems, once again, might be associated with people in our lives, we have a choice that we can make. We can either choose to dwell upon what others are thinking and what others are saying and believe in the things that they say and the thoughts perhaps that they're thinking towards us as truth, or we can see all of those things for what they are, and that is lies, and say, you know what? I am only about pleasing one person, and that is Jesus. Let me tell you something, if you commit to living your life for an audience of one, at the end of the day, who cares what other people says? Who cares what other people think? Paul was not focused on that. He said, I'm not gonna allow somebody else to control my attitude. I'm not gonna allow somebody else to rob me from my joy. Why? Because happiness is a choice. If somebody else wants to be unhappy, let them go for it. <laughs> they can sit around and, you know, pick lint out of their navel all day long for, for, for all we care, right? But listen, happiness is a choice. Don't allow their unhappiness to infect you with that sadness and that frustration and that disappointment and negativity. Here's what Paul said, and this is the attitude that we should have. Verse 18, he said, Yet in spite of all of this, I am overjoyed. For what does it matter as long as Christ is being preached? If they preach Him with mixed motives or with genuine love, the message of Christ is still being preached, and I will continue to rejoice. I love that. Paul's basically saying, look, here I am in a prison cell. I could whine and moan and gripe all day long. I got all these people out here that are against me, people saying trash talk and, you know, man, they're, they're you know, throwing me under the bus here. You got, you got people who are jealous, got people who are critical. You got people who are spreading all these lies and rumors. You got all these people I'm having to deal with. But he said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, all that matters is that the gospel of Christ is being advanced. People's lives are being changed. And Paul simply said, as far as I'm concerned, that's all that matters because that's what brings joy to my life. At the end of the day, what's gonna bring joy to our lives when we're going through difficulties is listen, are we living and are we walking in God's good and pleasing and perfect will? And as long as we can say with a pure heart, that we are truly walking, sincerely, passionately walking in the will of God. Guess what? It doesn't really matter what the world says, what other people think. At the end of the day, we're living for an audience of one. You know what that does in Philippians 1? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, you know what? In verse 28, 29, he said, because at the end of the day, he said, if you'll do that, he said, you will never be shaken or intimidated by the opposition that rises up against you. He said, your courage will prove to be a sure sign from God of their coming destruction. 
For God has graciously given you the privilege not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him. So guess what? If you're going through hardships, going through trials, facing problems in your life, hey, have an attitude of gratitude like Paul. Say, you know what? God has a greater plan. He's working His plan. He's chosen me to help fulfill that plan. Therefore, I'm going to even rejoice in the midst of the problems and the suffering that I'm experiencing in my life, which leads me to the third thing, and that is trust God to work things out. Trust God to work things out. You know what? We don't always understand why things happen the way they do. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I've doing this now for over 30 years, working with people going through all kinds of circumstances, even stuff I've had to overcome in my own life and in our family. Here's what I've come to realize. There's no way in the world I can predict what tomorrow's gonna look like, what six months is gonna look like from now, 12 months is gonna look like from now. I cannot predict my life in the future, nor can I truly understand why God allows certain things to happen. We don't know, but I do know this. I know that God is in control of all things. And even though he's in control of all things, there still is a reason why God allows certain things to happen. We've been learning some of those already, but we can trust him. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And in verses 19 through 20, here's what Paul said. He said, because I know that the lavish supply of the spirit of Jesus, the anointed one, and your intercession, your prayers for me, will bring about my deliverance. No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ so that He will be openly revealed through me before everyone's eyes. So I will not be ashamed in my life or in my death. Christ will be magnified in me. What Paul wanted you and what he wanted me to understand that even though we go through the most difficult circumstances in life. Guess what? God is going to help us work things out. We have to trust God to be God when things are hard in our lives. And the fourth thing is this, we got to stay focused on our purpose and not our problem. In verses 25, excuse me, 21 through 25. So here's what Paul said. Here's my dilemma. He said, Each day I live means bearing more fruit in my ministry. That was his purpose. He said, you know, if I get, I'm getting ready to to learn my faith. In in essence, in reality, he was waiting as to how his sentence was going to basically play out, whether they were going to execute him, hang him. At the end of the day, he didn't know whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die. So here was his thought. He said, each day I live means bearing more fruit. So if God keeps me alive, even if I remain here in a prison cell, Paul said, I'm just going to make the most of it. It means I get to witness the more prison guards that keep shuffling through here. And then he said, yet I fervently long to be liberated from this body and joined fully to Christ. That would suit me fine. But the greatest advantage to you would be that I remain alive. So Paul is basically saying, I'm kind of torn in my spirit and my heart. There's a side of me that wants to stick around so I can help bear more fruit and win others to Christ. But there's a side of me that I long to be with Jesus in heaven. 
And then he goes on to say, so you can see why I'm torn between the two. I don't know which I prefer, yet deep in my heart, I'm confident that I will be spared so I can add to your joy and further strengthen and mature your faith. So in essence, Paul was continuing to be hopeful and he remained steadfast because he stayed resolute. He stayed focused on his purpose, the greater purpose, more so than his problem. You know, it's interesting. He not only had a purpose for living, he had a purpose for dying. And that's my question to you. You know, do you have a purpose to live for? And do you have a purpose in dying for? In other words, do you know? Because Paul said it this way in verse 21, and I'll close with this. My true life, my true life. Some translations say when it comes to my life, Paul was essence was saying to live is Christ. And that's the question of the day. For you, when it comes to your happiness, here's the question that I would encourage you to fill in the blank. Here's the question that will determine your happiness. My true happiness is blank. Fill in that blank. Is it success? Is it pleasure? You know, is it possessions, material things that money can buy? What, how would you fill that blank? Or can you honestly say, for me to live, my life is Christ, because he's the source of my happiness. Would you join me in a word of prayers? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're there, maybe in your living room or wherever you might be watching this, can I just encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever it is you're going through right now, can I encourage you just to pause and ask yourself that question? For me to live is what? Are you living for the wrong things? Do you need to put Christ back in the center of your life? Make Him your most important priority. For some of you, maybe you're not a Christian at all. Maybe you're religious, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe today, you need to put your faith and trust in Him. He is the only source of truth and the only source of joy that will truly bring what it is perhaps that's missing in your life. If you allow Him to be the the one to fill in that blank in your life, I promise you, you'll see your life change before your very own eyes. And I want to help you with that today. You can pray this prayer in your heart. You can pray something like this. Just say, Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner and I turn from my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died and you arose again. And today, I'm accepting you into my life to be, to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus for saving my soul. Hey, if you prayed that prayer just then, I'd love to know, and I'd love to send you a little booklet. Would you do me a favor? Would you simply maybe text us the words RTL Jesus to the number 97,000? Or if you'd like, you can also click on that button there at the top of your screen if you're watching on our website that says, I decided. And that will shoot you a little card. We'd love for you to fill it out, send it back to us. In exchange, what we'll do is we'll send you a little booklet I put together called Rethinking Life Every Day. And so we would encourage you to take that all-important step. Let us know you pray that prayer. If you have any prayer requests, text uh, your request to RTL Prayer, the number 97,000. Let us hear from you. You can type that in uh, in the chat as well. Hey, we look forward to seeing you back next weekend, next Sunday for week three of this series called The Habits of 
happiness. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.